Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name is Matt Southcombe um, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Howell and Simon Thomas. How are we chaps? Very well, thank you. Good stuff, good stuff. Before we go any further, I'd just like to remind everyone that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just head over there and search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast and you should find us no troubles at all. Uh, Andy, busy, busy now, back busy in a week. Nice to see you back with us. Thank you, Matt. Where have I been? Oh, you weren't were here last week, was he? Where were you no, last week? Missing in action. Missing in action last <coughs> week. Had a couple last of days week. off or so. <laughs> Sorry for summer, eh? Middle of the Six Nations, is Middle of the Six Nations, that's what my boss dictated to. You know what it's like <laughs> working for a company. If I was the boss myself, I'd be seven days a week 24 7. I'm laughing at. So we had a team announcement today. Um, sorry, yesterday, Wales. See, they caught me off guard there. Eh? Yesterday, <laughs> Wales announced their team, the, the shock team announcement. We had the email about just before 8 o'clock that they were announcing their team at quarter past 9 on Wednesday, which goes against their usual routine of uh, 11 o'clock on a Thursday. What do you make of that, first of all, Anne? I think uh, it was obvious what the team was uh, going to be. George North fit, fit being back in. I think they just did it to, uh, uh, to have control of the situation and uh, to end any chance of media speculation yesterday about the uh, composition of the day and uh, certain journalists doing f- some doing some ferreting to try and find out the team in, in advance. Uh, and, uh, you know, Howley, I guess, he had quite a bit of stick for his substitutions after the game with England, and he might, uh, you know, there could be a feeling in the camp, oh, let's just show the press who's in charge. <laughs> so, as it happened, so there weren't too many shocks in the team. The, the one area that was... All up in the air, kind of was was the back row, you know, the, the three who were there, Warburton, Tipperick, mm. and Ross Moriarty are all in fantastic form. But you did just wonder whether or not Faletel would be thrown back in because because of, you know we know he's world class. Um, they've stuck with the three who were there. Mm. Right decision in your eyes. Well, not so long ago, the idea of not selecting a fit again. Falatau would have seemed fanciful, but that you know, fanciful. But that that just shows really the progress, in particular that Ross Moriarty has made in an immense game against England. The whole back row unit has gone well in the first two matches. None of them really deserve to be dropped. Mm. Um, Falatau obviously, got, I think, got seventy or eighty minutes under his belt for Bath against Harlequins the weekend. Which is good to see him back playing. It's great to have that option on the bench. But it, you know, you couldn't really sort of make a, a valid case for dropping any of those boys. And it's always, you know, a huge asset to have uh, Falato on the bench. Let's just hope that when he comes on, the timing of it and for whom he comes on is perhaps a little bit more judicious than it was in the England game. Matt, Matt used the word uh, world class, and I think that describes all four of Wales's back rowers. Because uh, Ross Moriarty, his father was a world class player, a fantastic player in rugby union and rugby league, and this boy looks like he's heading in the same way. Don't forget, he's already a World Cup winner, albeit with England. Before, the 20s. before we go any further, I just want to um, play a clip for you from today's press conference. Rob Howley was asked this very question about the back row, and here's what he had to say. A welcome headache, uh, picking from strength. Uh, I think Ross Moriarty was outstanding against England and deserves to start. Uh, like I said in the first week, when you're leaving Thomas Young going back to London Wasps, it just shows the strength and depth we've got. And, uh, you know, to go up to Scotland, uh, obviously their back row is one of their strengths and we feel this is the right back row to start the game. So, Andy, as we've heard, uh, um, Rob Howley obviously agrees with you that there are four world-class players in that Welsh back row. Hold on a minute, Matt, I agree with him. Let's <laughs> get right, he's the boss. <laughs> oh, I apologise. Uh, you agree with uh, Mr Howley then, how's that? Um, and he mentioned in the press conference today as well that Faletau is perhaps under a little bit of pressure for his place now and... Uh, 
he's, he's expecting a good response from him. Yeah, indeed he is, isn't he? Because Falatelli knew his situation in the past that he could sort of plus rock up, walk in a team. There was no real competition for number eight. He played, I don't think he missed a minute, did he? For loads and loads of no. games. Mm. So, uh, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden now, Falatelli, Moriarty, Moriarty, the emergence of him, as first of all as a blindside flanker, and now as a number eight, which interestingly is what happened to his father. His father started off as a blindside flanker and then went to number eight. Mm. And, um, you know, he's such an athlete, etc. He's put in... Uh, uh, pressure on Falatel, and the good thing about it is it should bring the best out of both of them and you, could, you would hope that both will improve and keep pushing each other to greater heights maybe it's what uh, Falatel uh, uh, needed when it came to uh, when it came to Wales Sorry, can you remember since he since he really grabbed hold of that number eight shirt and made it his own can you remember a time where his position has been under such threat well no it's not just that but it's been a case of there wasn't really a number 8 pushing I mean I guess at the very start of his Ryan career Jones. you had Ryan Jones didn't you but yeah. I mean from that 2011 World Cup on he's been one of the first names on the team sheet which it's, is a, yeah interesting that 2011 World Cup Ryan Jones went to the World Cup with a calf injury if he hadn't had a calf injury Faltel might not have had his chance but he took his chance and uh, during the warm up uh, games that uh, before that World Cup Ryan was out I think with a calf with then and Faltel grabbed his chance, same as Priestland did at the time, didn't he? Yeah. At outside half, and since then he hasn't looked back. Mm. We've know. been very lucky, you know, at a, before Moriarty came on the scene, where we probably were struggling in terms of a backup number eight, we were incredibly lucky that he, he stayed injury-free. All those years of the Dragons, not an injury, goes to Bath and he does his knee ligaments twice in a season. So, I don't know, perhaps the grass isn't always green over there. <laughs> Is it, this is coming at a good time for Faletel though isn't it because every player needs a, a sort of kick up the backside and to know that you're not safe um, in an international side yeah I think Sam Bourbon is proving that now himself you know because uh, he's no longer captain and he says you know that's the challenge he needed not being captain means he's got to work harder to get in the team because you know which he accepted a captain is, is hard to drop a, a captain so I think not being captain is driving Sam on as well as uh, now Faletel being driven on by Moriarty and vice versa mm. So on the back row as a whole side, there's obviously three. You know, Ross Moriarty plays at six for Gloucester, so effectively there are three flankers in the Welsh back row. And you look at the Scottish back row as well; it's not not a too dissimilar situation there either. It's going to be an old, pretty open, fast game. You look at it; you've got five players in that back row division. Now the two units who've played a fair bit of rugby in the open side. You know, all of those um, players in the back row. I mean, Barclays played seven, obviously. John mm-hmm. Hardy's a seven. Wilson can play right across the back row. Um, and then Wales as well have essentially two open sides and, and a guy who normally plays and it's club rugby on the flank so it's going to be fast and furious the breakdown is going to be fascinating that's why it's, you know, it's a big you know, big plus that, that Warburton is over the, the shoulder bang he took in the latter stages of the England game because his physicality over the ball is going to be absolutely crucial I, I, am, I have to be honest I'm surprised Scotland have dropped Hamish Watson mm. I think he's played really well he's like a rubber ball he's onto everything and it was notable for me that Warren Gatland picked him out as particular praise when he was talking about the first two weeks. So I'm, I, I am surprised at that. Um, Hardy's a good player, but he's had very li- limited rugby over the last few months. So yeah. a bit of a strange one for me, that. And I get the impression that this game is going to have to be refereed very carefully at the breakdown because, it, as we're alluding to here, we've got plenty of flankers on the field and that normally means that the battle of the breakdown could potentially become quite messy at times. I think... John Lacey's in charge at Murrayfield on Saturday. Anything could happen then. <laughs> Can't he, 
he's, he's got to set his stall out, isn't he? Early on, I know we saw in, in the Scott in the England game, sorry, that the, the breakdown was not going to be a free for all. The ball was going to be in and out as soon as possible, and it made yeah. for a fantastic game. Yeah, that's because the players knew while they were going to get off to Rome grasses. Yeah, and the same as players do with uh, Nigel Owen. And Nigel Owens, unfortunately, with Mr. Lacey, you never know what you're going to get from him. So he can be very, he can be hot, or he can be cold. He can be a nightmare to work as a first spectator to watch games he's in charge of, or some can be uh, pretty open. Um, I guess both these back rows will look to try and take advantage of uh, his officiating. And if he allows it to become a free-for-all, it could become a right mess, couldn't it? And mm-hmm. become a really, um, you know, not a great game for the spectators. And... Uh, and it could be, you know, end up with loads of penalties, etc. Mm-hmm. And the other thing which could come into which is I think you boys need to uh, take into consideration because you two are both off to Moneyfield this weekend, take some warm clothes with you, because the forecast is not great, boys, mm. at all, and the weather could be a big factor in this match. Indeed. Um, the only change to the starting 15 for Wales comes on the wing, and that's George North coming back into the fold. Well, that's a surprise. <laughs> so, well, well, he knew that was going to happen, didn't he? It was well, obvious uh, it was going to happen. Well... You would have thought so, but did any of us really know what his what his leg was doing? Well, we knew he, knew, he only gee, he was nearly right for the uh, England game. If you, uh, you know how he said after that match mm. that they, that was a close call, so it was in all likelihood it was only a dead leg. Dead legs are usually right within a fortnight, so always expected him uh, to come back. I think he would have come back even if Cuthbert had had a good game last week. Mm. So he always seems to do well against Scotland North. I know he scored a couple of tries against him in the last few years. Yeah, he's on the edge of history as well. He scored in um, his last five consecutive Six Nations matches. Um, if he scores again this weekend, that, that's a championship record. You know, yeah, he's joined with Shane Williams five in a row at the moment. That's no mean achievement, you know. Mm. And um, he is on his day. Well, we saw what he can do with one leg against Italy with the try he scored. So now he's on two. He should he's been twice the player, <laughs> and uh, he is at his best, of, you know, outstanding strike weapon. It was interesting hearing Sean Edwards talk about him this week. He was asked about what he brings, and understandably from a defensive coach's point of view, he immediately turned to the defensive aspect and said that that was the the, uh, the area that has always been the one that's needed to be worked on with mm. George because he came in as a great attacking force, and it's been a work in progress to sort of build his defensive game. Now Sean is of the view that over the last uh, few months, last year maybe, his defensive game has really come on. So I don't know, what do you think about that, Land? I disagree. (laughs) I think it's times it's better, but we saw against Australia last autumn, he was all over the shop in New Zealand. He played one test before being forced out with a hamstring injury. Great in attack in New Zealand, but he struggled defensively against them as well. They scored a couple of tries uh, down his side. And, um, you know, as Gatland, uh, Warren Gatland says himself, the teams in the Riva Premiership t- target George North when he's playing for Northampton uh, Saints defensively. Um, I thought he defended, apart from when he had that injured leg near the end and just before he actually burst away for that try, Italy, you know, the, uh, they just run straight past him mm. on one occasion. Yeah. And then uh, there was a turnover, he got the ball and he exploded so, in the action. So, I mean, he is... He's still working at it. What do you see? That, is that are you talking about weakness in the tackle or positioning? Positioning against Australia was a uh, um, uh, was a problem, and I don't think he's a big chap. I don't think he's very good under the eyeball, and uh, can be targeted with cross kicks. I remember a few years ago, actually, when he was at the Scalas, Ulster did a massive job on him in a Pro 12 semi final. They just kicked on him, and Tommy Bow had a field day. Mm. Um, so he's not great in the air, and uh, of course he's a big bloke, isn't he? And if bloke if guys with a uh, uh, raise your footwork is harder for him, isn't it? Yeah. You know? yeah. So, uh, 
we've mentioned the one change, we've mentioned the back row. Were there too many other changes that you could have really envisaged in this Wales team? I think many other players have deserved to be dropped. No, I mean, obviously, Charteris came back into the equation this week because he's over the hand and hamstring problems he's had. And probably at the start of the championship, if he'd been available, he would start. But Jake Ball's form has been such, you know, very abrasive, combative, strong ball carrying. It shows the strides that Ball has made over the last couple of years, that Chartres is fit, and yet Ball keeps uh, his place on. in the team. Hold on a minute, just hold on. <laughs> Chartres has hardly played a season because he's had loads of... He's been injured virtually all season. Bath fans don't know what they look like, apparently, <laughs> what he looks like. But, uh, you know, he's had a fractured bone in his hand. Todd Black out of Bath coach said last week, oh, he's got hamstring as well. Now, I won't be surprised if Chartres doesn't make a bench because the 25th man or 24th man going up there with the squad, the extra man, is Corey Hill, who, yep. who the Dragons thought was on the bench. <laughs> but uh, now he's not on the bench with the Dragons. Tomorrow night he's with Wales, with Steph Evans. Um, so, uh, I, you know, Corey Hill there, that suggests to me... Well, so the Dragons named right. him on the bench? Well, it, it apparently was he did initially. Apparently <laughs> they did it on social media and then he's not on the bench. So, oh so uh, that's an interesting one. So uh, Chartres is in the same boat as Faletel, is he hasn't not played much rugby this season. And Jake Ball has been, a, perhaps, with Alan Wynne-Jones, the form second-round Welsh rugby. He was fantastic against Toulon and Saracen. The, the, the and other, he was great against England the other week. You were raving about him, Matt. I, I was raving about him. He's been outstanding this season. The other area, I suppose, where you, you know, was a debate because it's changed during the Championship was the propping situation. Because you've had, the, obviously, the, the, the two that started against Italy and the different two started against England. Uh, they, they've stuck with those boys who, who started against England, which you, you yeah, know, Thomas Francis and, and Rob Evans. Uh, I think you'll, you, again, you'll see that the two boys coming off the bench. You know, Sanson Lee will come off, Nicky, Nicky Smith will come off. You know, there's, there's good competition there. Mm. I just think that for this game in particular, if you look at Scotland in this championship, they've really struggled in the scrum. It's their Achilles' heel, isn't it's it? It's their massive Achilles' heel. You know, they they had a desperate time um, early on against Ireland. Um, or throughout most of the Irish game, to be honest, and then against France, that juggernaut pack caused them huge problems. Now they have made a change. Um, Alan Dell, who well, he, he's been going in reverse for the last two weeks, last three weeks. He's he's gone out of the starting lineup. And Gordon Reid was a more experienced guy, 29 year old. You know, he's come in. He, he's been talking it up. He says uh, they're ready to ha- handle any kind of bullying tactics from Wales up front. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think clearly, when you look at the, how much Scotland have struggled in that area, you would imagine with a bit of rain forecast as well, Wales will really, I'm sure, look to take. Do you know what I would consider? The scrum hasn't been firing on all cylinders. No, but let's not forget. Yeah, the Scottish scrum. There's firing on all cylinders, and that's what's been happening to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I accept. Uh, you know, I England had a slight edge on Wales at the scrum. Uh, and they had a few out in Italy. And it, uh, in Italy went either way until Wales. Until the, well, actually, Rob Evans came on. And Tom Francis. Put it this way: if there's, if there's one scrum, you would look to get dominance over during this championship. Now it yeah. would be Scotland. Do you know what, Matt? Do you yeah, know why you know, Matt? I like super rugby, attacking rugby, and all that. But if the weather's back in Scotland, do you know what I would consider doing? If I were Wales, knocking the ball on on purpose. So there's oh, a few scrums. Be cynical. So let's give the Scotland a go at the scrum and a set piece. Let's see if they up to it. And if they're not, keep knocking the ball on and let's have some more scores. <laughs> let's push them back into the... Uh, I think you need to clear up your stance on this before people take... I think, uh, I think back of four years ago... Why not? <laughs> oh, it's all about winning. Tell me if I'm right, I'm sure four years ago up, up there, I think Hibbard's got the only try of the game and it was a day where Wales, probably Gethin and Adam were still in the harness then together. Wales really took Scotland on in the, in the tight that year. It was a boring game, but they won it through their forward power. They'd done it before up in Scotland. I'm sure they will target that area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Gordon Reid says, Wales have bullied Scotland in recent years, intimidated them. In some degrees, it's reminded me 
when Wales have been playing them in the Gatlin era, is reminding me of Wales, I'd say, against Australia at that level, not New Zealand, Wales against Australia, where you never really expected Wales to win. It's, and it, I think it's been the same with Scotland. Yeah. You never really expect them it's to been a Wales, big, Wales have had it. It's been a big blow for Scotland that they've lost WP now, who's been, become a real anchor of this um, South African who's come over and you know was probably looking as a contender for the Lions before the neck problems that he's had. Also lost Alistair Dickinson, who's improved a lot as a scrimmager over the years. So they've ended up, as I say, with, with, with Adele starting, who's a, you know, struggled in the side. And then on the other side, they've got Xander Ferguson, who's only just turned 21, hadn't started a Six Nations match before this campaign. So it's in been a big ask for those two inexperienced props and again I think you know Wales will surely have been on that scrimmaging machine this week and imagining some Scottish faces up against them and that has to be an area for them to dominate they have been on a scrimmaging machine because I already said that they've been doing a lot of live scrimmaging but as he pointed out and as Alan Wynne-Jones uh, said as well a lot of it comes at the scrimmaging comes down to the interpretation of the referee and his two assistants so it could all go back to um, old Clancy's mate but, Mr Lacey I, I, I tell you you mentioned Alan Wynne there what, what kind of mood was he in at the press conference today well before we get into that <laughs> that's, 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 that's have a, let's have a quick listen to a few of Alan and Jones' answers to uh, for some of the questions put in by the journalists at the press conference today before Wales headed off to Edinburgh. I suppose it's your job to look back and my job to look forward and that's what we're doing and I'm doing for this weekend, so that's our focus. Um, I suppose we're two games in, so let's uh, worry about the rugby either. Well, the pitch is the same size and the ball's the same shape, so... Well, there's, there's bits and bobs, but you know that's for me to deal with my team, not with you. Okay, and uh, so me and you were up there this afternoon. You were you were putting the questions through on occasions. Um, what did you make of it? He wasn't uh, particularly forthcoming at times, was he? Yeah, he was a typical Alan Wynn, wasn't he? He was a bit uh, touchy at times. Uh, me only wanted to say. Uh, he, he only wanted to make his own uh, points. He, you know, he didn't answer some of the questions uh, basically. And uh, you, you know, I think a chap from the BBC. Uh, uh, early on pointed out it was Alan he said Alan you're the only player in this Wales uh, match day 23 it's lost against Scotland yeah, you know, exactly. like, and all. And, and, you know he wasn't too he didn't seem to be too enamoured by that question <laughs> so he was tip- yeah he was yeah, yeah he was a nice bouncer yeah. uh, you know yeah, I guess he's a couple of days away from the game he's starting to get a bit spiky yeah ok fair enough uh, what do you make of uh, the way that, that Alan went dealt with some of the questions so I know you're probably following it from yeah I was listening to it I mean as Andy says, we've all had uh, the odd moment with Alan Wynn where he's given us the stare and he's taken us to a, the task of something we, we've written or a headline or something. You know, he's uh, you know he's, he's got a law background, isn't he? And I, and I think he sees uh, he likes to sort of a bit of banter and a bit of sparring with people sometimes. But he's always got a little smile on his face when. He but replies. I think um, with the captaincy, there's a you know there's a real edge to him as well. I mean, listen, I don't really care how he is with us. If he leads Wales to victory, mm. I don't really care. Now, you might argue that in terms of the Lions equation, even more so than captain your country, the kind of media role, the ambassadorial role, is even more important on that. Mm. So, is that an issue? The fact that he, you know, I don't know, does he not like press conferences, Andy? I mean, we've, seen, we've both sat in with him on loads of these. Do you think he doesn't like the whole thing? Or is it just that he's got a match day edge upon him? I think he's just got an edge generally, hasn't he? And all, and you know, you pointed out to his law background and all. I think he thinks he's, uh, uh, he believes he's uh, quite clever and all that. And I think perhaps he likes to out, uh, out uh, think the media, you know, outside the media and uh, and all the rest of it. You know, he certainly likes uh, jousting 
with the media mm. and um, but you're right on the Lions you know we've covered Lions tours and all it's a massive the media not just the British media but it's a massive media circus it's a worldwide circus and it's loads of other things and all and uh, you, you know if he is like if he was to be Lions uh, captain I think he would have to be a bit more uh, Diplomatic, like the master of diplomacy, Mr. Samuel Warburton. I mean, I'm speaking to other people, you know, within the Welsh camp, it is also worth noting that you know, it's been said that he, he set real standards since taking over in terms of what he expects from all the players, and his leadership behind the scenes, you know, is very impressive, and he's very straight with people, and he demand, you know, he demands high things from other players, which I think is what well, he, he wants. Example, he leads by he? example and demands off the, on and off the field. He demands that people hit standards. Mm. So, hey, listen, I think we're uh, we're very fortunate with, with Warburton having uh, finished in the roles to have someone like Alan Wynn come in and taking over, and let's see how he leads Wales this weekend. Yes, yeah, so, so I guess as long as he keeps playing well and Wales keep playing well and winning, then everything else is uh, sort of insignificant I guess so, but you know, listen Joe, Joe Public out there doesn't really care if he's a bit truckling with us does he no, no, as long as we're winning that's very true very true um, he and Alan wouldn't be drawn on Wales's record over Scotland in the last 10 years Wales haven't lost since Scotland came in 9 out 9 you know so but does that play any part in the psychology of this game this weekend? Because I know Jonathan Davis was asked about it as well uh, in the broadcast section and he wouldn't sort of go into it in any detail either. I know the players in that situation will rarely ever say, yes, we, it does matter because you know they're just seeing it as a new Scotland team and so forth. So, But does this add a, an extra edge to it? You know, will Scotland be worried about facing Wales this weekend given that they've not beaten Wales for so many years? No, I don't think they will because uh, for the reasons that you know it's, it is a fairly newish Scotland team. I think it's a much better Scotland team than they've had for years. You know they got a top, really top outside half in the making. Finn Russell made enormous different um, difference to them, and I think this is a uh, uh, this is a match Scotland will believe they can uh, win. I don't think it's like facing the All Blacks; it's they're facing Wales. They will think, which you know, and I, I agree with. One day this Welsh record will come to an end against them. And uh, they will really fancy their chances. Uh, they will know as well. This is a it's a pivotal game for them in this championship, as it is for uh, Wales, because the loser is almost certainly out of the title uh, uh, race. And I think they'll go in it, believing they can win. You know, Glasgow are a top team in the Pro 12. They have some great results against the Welsh teams. They won the league a couple of years ago, and uh, I think there is a newfound confidence in. Uh, in uh, Scottish rugby mm. uh, but of course what they've got to overcome to beat Wales this weekend is the physicality of the Welsh team mm. right, So this, when you look at the championship table I mean this game is already you know some of the players admitted today that they can't afford to lose this game if, if mm. they want to win the championship I know there's bonus points and so on involved and that kind of extends things a little bit, but you know, you lose two games in the Six Nations, you're not going to win it, are you? No, you're not. It's you know, it is a make or break for both teams. And then you know, touching what Andy said, this is the, this is the best Scotland team since we lost them in 2007. This is the toughest test Wales have faced since that day. Um, if you look at it, Fern Cotter now is in his final season with Scotland. And the work he's done has been notable. He's really built a squad there. They've got more uh, strength in depth now. The way they're playing, there's more momentum about their side. Um, if you look at the threat they now pose behind, they've got you know, real strike runners in Stuart Hogg, um, Tommy Seymour. They've got a really underrated inside centre and Dunbar is like in the midfield glue who holds it all together and a real box of tricks. 
you know, a 10 in, in Finn Russell who's always challenging and looking to make things happen, either himself or put another field in the space. And they've got a, you know, an electric back row that'll be flying around the field. And what they will also have is a Scotland crowd has already seen them, their team beat Ireland this year. Is starting to believe a bit more in their side. Watch them come very close out in Paris, despite having no forward front five platform. Well, scrum platform anyway. And it, it's interesting to see that tickets have been flying around on the, uh, I was going to say black market. I think we could call it the resale market <laughs> for very high prices out there. Now, I remember during that 10 years where we've been undefeated there, there have been times where they, they couldn't sell us tickets to a Scotsman. They were mm. desperate for us to come up and fill the stadium. Not the case anymore. There's a real, I was speaking to my friends up in Scotland and colleagues up there, there's a real enthusiasm about the Scottish team at the moment. They, they really believe that they can pull off scalps. They've beaten Ireland already, who are arguably a stronger side than Wales, if you look over the last year. And now they will fancy their chances against Wales. They mm. really will. I still think, man for man, Wales are a better team, having gone yeah, through the head-to-heads. And Wales got a lot better bench. They have, but Scotland have got a real clear identity with the way they're going to play. And they will, any opportunities, with ball in hand, they are going to test our wide defence. Yeah. Not only that, the other bloke we haven't mentioned him yet, is they got a new scrum half, I came off the bench in Ali Price because Greg Laidlaw's injured. And what Price will bring to the party is a lot of quick, if it's tap penalties, free kicks, penalties, he's a tap-and-go merchant. He will go. And that will suit people like Hogg. Like Tommy Seymour, like Hugh Jones, you know, the guy from the Stormers, mm. super rugby, he was excellent in the autumn, he's a dangerous runner. Tim Risser, Finn Russell, if Price can get going with quick tap penalties and Wales are not wise to him, uh, you know, they'll get behind us and then we have got problems. Quite similar to Reese Webb, isn't he? Quite similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that sort of game would, I actually think that Price might suit Scotland more than Leedlaw does. The only, down, the only other side goal of that, kicking. the only other side of that, you lose the goal kicking, you lose a bit of the control and game management and at the end of the day, you've got a kid who's making his first Six Nations start there. It's a big ask, but he's shown for Glasgow that he's arguably been, been the form scrum half in the, in the Pro 12 this season. You know, if he can step up to the plate and not be phased by it, then he will cause Wales problems. Yeah, that's yeah. one area where Wales got a massive advantage in his, his accuracy of goal kicking. Yeah, I mean, whether it's Halfpenny or, uh, or Daniel Bigger. We've uh, you've alluded to Greg Laidlaw there. Um, I was listening to uh, uh, Tommy Seymour and Stuart Hogg actually talking earlier in the week, and they they said that ten players missed the aftermatch function after the French game because they had to go back to the hotel and rest up, or they had to go to A and E. Um, I know there's been two weeks uh, since that game, and I know that uh, they're not missing ten players. But there are there are more players out injured for Scotland. So um, are these you know losing those players? It's not insignificant. As Wales can still go up here, mm. and they can be you know the Welsh fans can go up as they will in their thousands this weekend, and be fully confident of getting a victory. Mm. What this does show you? Imagine if we had five games in five weeks. Well, with yeah. the battering Scotland took in, against France, they'd have had a virtually new team. Um, I mean, that's a bruising French team now, isn't it? It really is. And there's some absolute brutes, there's some beauties in there. And, there. and there were people coming off with HIAs every five minutes. You know, they, they lost Laidlaw. Barkley took over a captain. He goes off with a head and a hamstring problem. Hardy got a bang. You know, I think Dunbar got a you know, Honestly, they were falling like nine pins. They did really well given all the injuries yeah. to stay in the game like they did. So they would have been very grateful for this two-week break. They've not managed... Ironically, the guy who was pu- pulled out, who's failed to make it, 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 actually picked up an injury playing for Saracens. That's Sean Maitland, who I think has played well in the first yeah, two games. And, you know, Visser, who comes in for him, you know, he's got a lot of experience, but he hasn't started... I think he's just started the one match since the last Six Nations. He's not really been a first-teamer. 
and I think that the loss of Maitland's a blow, but they have had enough time to get a really pretty strong side out. Not their first team, because obviously we talked about the injuries. They lost Strauss as well in number eight. So they haven't really got a, an out-and-out ball-carrying eight. They've gone for more sort of mobility in the back row. But that two weeks has at least enabled them to get yeah, the yeah. likes of Barkley and Hardy fit. So it has been important. Yeah, that's a massive blow for them losing uh, Strauss, because even off, uh, you know, going backwards against France when he was receiving the ball, he was still making yards. You know, he's their big ball-carrier, Ryan Wilson. He's a flank who plays number eight, very upright and he can be targeted and driven back by uh, Tatler, so they will miss uh, Strauss's ability low to the ground, getting over that, uh, over scrambling over the game line. And we're going to miss the Battle of the Beards. It have been Strauss against Jake Ball. Against WG, <laughs> WG Grace. <laughs> All right, I think we leave it there, chaps. Um, just before we go, just to remind you, we've obviously got the Pro 12 action this weekend. We've got Edinburgh Blues on Friday at five minutes past seven, Dragons Leinster at half past seven, and Munster Scarlet at 7.35, all on Friday night. Also got Glasgow against Ospreys at five minutes past one on Sunday afternoon, and of course the big one at Murrayfield on Saturday afternoon. Um, don't forget you can catch all the build-up to those matches, the live updates, and the fallout on Wales Online. <laughs>